Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Will Schofield, Dan Conce, back chat 2.0. Hi, Dan. Hello. We're back again, brought to you this week by Quirky Jerky, the official jerky suppliers of the Backchat podcast. Mm, love me some jerky. That's it. If you want to get around us, YouTube channel, that's it. Backchat podcast. Have a look, subscribe, or if you really love us, you can contribute to the podcast on Patreon. We love our fans. We love the community. You can find it on backchatpodcast.com.au. Let's go. All right, big fans of the podcast, welcome, Backchat 2.0, would follow Dan Const on Instagram as well. Dan, what was going on with the uh, story you put up of you singing Queen in a backlit alley? (laughs) Okay, Okay. so I'm fine. What happened was I was in my car, drove to a friend's house, went to go watch the Formula 1 race, okay, on his TV. In the, uh, he said, text me when you get here, so I did text him and I was waiting in the car and I spotted something while I was in the car some lighting, and I thought, this looks like the video clip from Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. So because I'm a content-making machine, I thought I'd video myself singing the start of Bohemian Rhapsody like they do in the video clip, and I posted it on my Instagram social, what's it called, stories. It was quite frightening. I reckon, no joke, I'm not even exaggerating, I got at least 10 messages from people replying going, Dan, what's up, what? What's the problem? Are you okay? Every post on your Instagram was wiped as well. I'm still figuring out why, but my Instagram is, there's there's some bugs in my Instagram. All of my posts are gone. I'm trying to figure out if they can get, be brought back. But yes, no, it's just, it was fine. I was just doing a queen bit. Okay, good. It was weird. Just want you to know that. Yeah, that's it's really fine. weird. Um, it was your birthday on the weekend. Happy birthday. Yep, thanks. How Number old are you? 32. You're a bit hesitant to tell me that on the weekend. You're good. What, my age? Yeah, you were like, oh, same age as you, mate. Like, yeah, well, that's because we are the same age. Ah, okay, fair enough. Um, at the end of that night, we had a few drinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came out and I'd parked my car in a private car park yes. run by a par- private entity, quite well known. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a parking fine on my... Yes. I threw it in the bin. How do you feel about that? Um, You're such a stickler for the rules. <laughs> you were very aggrieved. You saw me throw it in the bin. Yeah, you, you sort of grabbed it, you peeled it off. They do this sticker thing at that one, which is odd. Yeah. They don't just slide it under the yeah. whipper wiper thing, mm-hmm. what it's called. Um, 
you slapped it off your window, you scrunched it and you threw it. Yep. And you said, I'm not paying that. Yeah. And I picked it up. <laughs> and now it's um, in my living room, wow. ready for you to pay whenever you whenever you get a chance. Hey, if you feel like I'm happy to that, pay for it, and then hey, you pay me back. Go for it. You pay <laughs> it. I, oh, you go for it. You I'm pay. I'm not it. paying it. You you'll pay it though. Backchat 2.0, Will Schofield, Dan Constant. I will not be paying my parking fine. Welcome to the show. Um, the studio is getting bigger. We've got a great guest on, Matt Spanger, my good friend. Uh, a journey in AFL across three different clubs: West Coast. Uh, Hawthorne and Sydney, five grand finals. All very good teams. All very good eras, mm. great eras. So he played across a lot of successful clubs under a lot of successful coaches. He's got great insights. He's now the coach uh, of the forward line at the Western Bulldogs under Luke Beveridge. So his his footy journey is has covered a long time. He played only about 50 games across that journey as well. So um, we're going to have a chat to him a little bit later on. Uh, we're really loving the amount of people getting around us on YouTube. Yeah, loving that. And TikTok. So, so, yep, TikTok. A um, couple of rogue bogues from last week. Got a bit of action on TikTok. So, as usual, you can reach us on the socials. Instagram, which is backchat underscore podcast. Twitter, which is backchat underscore pod. Mm-hmm. TikTok's backchat underscore podcast. Reddit is r forward slash backchat podcast. Um, you can email us at hello at backchatpodcast.com.au for you send it, we read it. Biggest podcast segment in town. You can find us on YouTube, Backchat 2.0. If you are watching this or you're listening to this, we'd love you to subscribe to the channel. It, yeah. it actually does help us. It does. It really does. Um, so love you to subscribe to YouTube. And you can find all that at www.backchatpodcast.com.au. How about that? Not reading anything. You can see me, people. You can yeah. see. That was out of my brain. There's a lot of good stuff in there. We just have to get in it out brain. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's been a little bit happening, not so much in AFL land, to yeah, be really honest. Well, I mean, we're a week out from the draft, so we're starting to dish around with the top 10 lists and top five this and top three that. They're just really ringing it out in mainstream media land, but we're not going to do that. You've got to write something. There's not a whole lot happening. I think this year could be the year of the uh, mature age draft day, especially yep. for West Coast. West Coast are in the premiership window. Um, they've just signed Hearn, Kennedy... Yes, they, they may be you know, transitioning into those player-coach-type roles, but they've got them you know, primed to have another tilt at the flag. And I think this is the perfect opportunity for the draft in West Coast to go for some mature-age recruits. There's a guy called Greg Clark who plays for Subiaco. I watched, watched him play in the grand final, in the Waffle grand final, and he's outstanding. Yep. So I don't know why you wouldn't add someone like that to the list. West Coast have traditionally not been about that. So we'll see what happens there. If we switch lanes a little bit to cricket, a little bit going on over there. There is. Um, are we referencing my Pfeiffer? <laughs> <laughs> no, Tim Payne has stepped down <laughs> as the captain of the Australian men's test side. Mm. Do, do you have any... You work in an organisation that has a fair bit to do with coverage of that. Was was there some murmurings around the, the place? No, there was... I feel um, about that. There was uh, a, someone goes Tim Payne apparently is stepping down, captain. Mm. Everyone's like, "What?" And then I don't know. Within half an hour, it was on all the TVs, and people were huddling around listening to what had gone on. And so, yeah, he is no longer the captain of the cricket team. I don't really want to get into it too much. I think it's a bit of a minefield, to be really honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've seen I've seen a lot of the coverage. I've been following it quite closely. What I will say, though, I do want to speak about it is. 
with any situation when anyone ever stuffs up. We spoke yep. about Jordan Degoe about three weeks ago. I've spoken about other people that have stuffed up off the field or even on the field. When mistakes are made, that's what they are, they're mistakes. There's very little people rolling around that are deliberately trying to do the wrong thing or are trying to hurt people they love um, or trying to hurt themselves. There's really just not that many people that exist in this world. So when someone stuffs up and he's, you know, let's use this example, he's the captain of the Australian test team and the mistake that's been made happens, it's not deliberately. And I just, I find the personal character persecution and the search for blood from both uh, media commentators, from people, um, from social media contributors is disgusting. I actually, it makes me sick about how much people want to, someone's head. They want someone to roll. It doesn't matter what's happened. Um, and, and that's not cancel culture or woke crowd or you know, um, clearly what we're talking about here, what Tim Payne's done, is it acceptable? It's probably not. But has he done it deliberately? No. Um, has he tried to hurt people he loves? I, I can tell you right now, Tim Payne's life is ruined. It's it's in ruins. Mm. Um, not only his job, but his relationship um, and his personal character. It's It's in tatters. And I just, I, I hate overall, I don't really want to speak about the incident, I hate the fact that people feel like they need to get blood. I've seen that less, though, with, like, for instance, with the Jordan Ngoi thing, people really went after him. Yeah, I haven't seen that as much, though, with Tim Payne. You're kidding me. Uh, oh, mate, you haven't been looking hard enough. There's, there's, mate, there's nooses hanging around town for Tim Payne. It's ridiculous. Right. Right? Not, not, not defending the action. Not defending him. I'm just defending... Uh, the fact that in any circumstance in life, it's very le- rarely uh, one person involved. It yep. always takes two to tango in anything that happens. It's not just not talking about relationships and you know things to do with men and women. In anything, Jordan yep. Degoe, right? What, what, what do we know? What do you, what do you know about what happened in the nightclub? It's all it's all just innuendo, and people just want to take people's heads off. People want to. You know, cut down success, and yeah, I, I I haven't loved that side of it. And it happens in politics. It happens across multiple industries, and sports stars are another part of that. And I don't like it. All right, <laughs> you like it when I do rants, don't you? Yeah, just I'm just taking it in. Yeah, I just <clears throat> I don't know. Everyone wants to break down the incident. I would rather just. I think he's done the right thing. I think he's had to step down to the captain. You probably can't keep that position, but you know how much is the guy gonna? Yeah, you know, how, how how much you how much blood do you want? That's mm. that's the question I'd ask everyone. He is still going to play for the team. Oh, well, yeah. he's up for selection. No, no, he's up for selection. Up for selection. He, he selection. Sorry, he hasn't played in eight months. Thing with Tim Payne, he's never been the captain because he's been the best player. Spoke about spoke about that on the podcast before. That often leadership positions are occupied by the best players, which sometimes aren't the best leaders, but. He's been in the position because he was the best leader. So it makes it difficult now that he's stepped down as captain. He's no longer a leader. Does his... Does his role then come into it? If he's not needing it as that role, do they need him in the team? We'll find out because the Ashes are coming up. Yeah, I would say that he'll probably lose his spot. I think there's probably better players than him out there in his position. But we'll we'll wait and see. I would Mm -hmm. just say just to just pull it back a little bit on the blood side of things. It's okay. People can make mistakes, and they can put their hand up and admit them, and and then we can we can kind of move forward. 
That'd mm. be nice sometimes. Yep. Um, be good to one another. I think you'll see here our YouTube subscribers. Um, quirky Jerky's in the house. We got a little bit of Quirky Jerky. What flavour we got there, mate? This is original. I was eating it. It's very delicious. Um, we got to say that Quirky Jerky, they're our exclusive jerky suppliers of the podcast and we appreciate it. We love it. Yeah. Any of those other brands, get out of town. Yeah, correct. Not touching it. I'm not even mentioning their names. Don't even know them. I've got a big list of them. No, I've got a big list. We can't even talk about them. Good. Um, what else is happening in the land? We got we had we actually had a stack of Patreon um, subscribers this week, and I wanted to mention our lovely people over there. We appreciate the support you give your pod, the podcast. Yep. Um, I, I don't know. I just got nothing for love that people that actually support what we're doing and enjoy what we're doing, and I love you. Yeah, it helps us make more and better things. Yeah. So we got some good ke- good guests coming up. Um, Can we tell anyone? I'm gonna give a little, just a I'll sample. give a hint. Okay, go on. I'll see if I can figure it out. He mm-hmm. plays AFL. <sighs> Current AFL player. Does not play for West Coast or Fremantle. Yep, okay. Um, we're we're in the same draft. I'll tell you that. We're in the same draft. All right. Yeah. That's just a little tease. He's a, he's a premiership player. He is a, uh, he's a big dog. Let's call him the big dog. We um, I'm going to need your face ID there on your phone. Um, we will be speaking to Mr. Spanger very shortly. Yep. And social media will be a part of that. So yeah, don't worry. We won't, we won't be missing out on social media, but what we will have is you send it. We read it. That's right now. Quickly becoming the best podcast segment yep. in, in, in town. All right, give it to me. This one is from Matthew Symes. Says, Simesy. Simesy. G'day, back chat 2.0. AFL.com.au allow us all to watch the replays of AFL games that occurred during the last decade for free. What was the best West Coast Eagles game in the last decade, either to play in for Will or to watch for Dan? Uh, what was either of your favourite AFL match in the last decade? Love the podcast. I'll start All right. while you figure right. yourself out there. Right. Uh, look, I want to come up with a clever answer. I don't want to go the obvious, but yeah, it same. is. It's to 2018 Grand Final. Yeah. That was bloody awesome. And... Um, especially because it looked dire at the start. Thought, uh oh, here we go, twenty fifteen, all over again. And then it changed. Twenty eighteen was the best game that I've played in. Um because of everything. Atmosphere, uh, what was on the line, how the game went, the style of game. It it, it ticked every box. And I think it's it's one of the best game in the last uh twenty years, like two years running, because it was great to watch, but it was great to play in. One, like if we do want to get a bit clever, one game I really enjoyed playing in was the 2015 qualifying final against Hawthorne at Subiaco. Right. No one really gave us a big chance. Um, we'd finished below Hawthorne on the ladder and that doesn't make any sense. We can't off. We, play, we, we finished no, above sec- them. Yeah, we finished you were second on the ladder, Fremantle second. was first. Yeah, right? and then Hawthorne was third. So we came into that game though, Hawthorne had won the last two premierships. Um, 13 and 14 and so they were the big dogs and they rolled in everyone were tipping them to win and we absolutely smacked them look who got the last laugh Hawthorne did yeah they did yeah uh, but that was a good game to play in loudest I've ever heard Subiaco over that game mm. yeah it was good very good yeah two good games yep. there's also uh, uh, I always mentioned uh, 
Jerry McGovern kicking a goal after the siren for the win against was like it was in Port, was it? Yeah. And Luke Shuey also did it, and that game went into double overtime essentially. Yeah. So that was in a final, Luke Shuey's. Um, yeah, both good games, and I didn't play in either. That would have been nice. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so thanks for the memories. <laughs> uh, this is from uh, Jacob so- Soderland. Uh, Schofield's best mate and mortal enemy at West Coast Eagle playing days. Dan and Will and Charlie, if he's not off on a date, <laughs> uh, he's not here. He might be on a date in Albany. Who knows? Will, my question is directed at you. Did you ever have a mortal enemy at West Coast during your playing days, e.g. a bloke you played with? I'm interested to hear how you navigated these types of relationships in what I imagine is a pretty insular environment. Did it ever impact you on a f- on the field, aka made you not want to kick it to them? I don't expect names to be named, obviously, but if you'd like to, sure. Would you ever look at a guy I'm not kicking to you and don't really like you at the moment? No. There's the opposite. Some guys just kick it to each other all the time. So Andrew Gaff, Brad Shepard have this thing that they look for each other. <laughs> Right, so they give it to oh, each cute. other all the time. You would never look at someone and think, I'm not kicking it to you because I don't like you. Well, I certainly have never done that. Uh, mortal enemies. No, no mortal enemies. I mean, one 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 story off the top of my head, uh, I got drafted with a guy called Tim Tim Houlihan. Um, some diehards will remember him. Good fella. Still mates with Tim in a fantasy league in the NFL with him. But one week we played each other in the waffle. I was playing for Peel. He was playing for East Frio. And he... I always used to shake hands at the start of games and right. he refused to shake my game uh, hand at the start of the game and I just was so, so offended I can imagine you angry. getting really bitter about that. But just like, just some moral yep. reflections on that. That'd be like, you know, you not paying a parking ticket or something like some rule-abiding <laughs> citizen thing that you wouldn't do. Well, that's what that was for me and I remember... I didn't shake his hand after the game as like payback. And I always remember it because it's my first year and I regret not taking the higher ground and shaking his hand, but I mm. refused to shake it on the way back and I was pissed off the whole game and I played like shit. Ah, yeah, there's a mortal enemy. In your head. Mortal enemy. Uh, likewise, who would you say you were closest to of your playing days and trusted your deepest, darkest secrets with? Well, I mean, the man coming up, it's probably a good segue, Matt Spanger. Um, yep. lived, lived with him for two years. Um, we were effectively best men at each other's wedding. And uh, being able to maintain that relationship, I think the fact that we didn't play at the same club for my whole career probably identifies that we're actually even better mates than perhaps some of my teammates because some of the relationships you have with players um, are, are relationships of convenience, right? You mm. see them every day for you know eight months at a time. But then when off-season comes around, that you don't, you don't see them. And when you get delisted or retire, you don't see them either. So... There's actually probably only a handful of people that you work with for 15 years that you actually continue the relationship with after. But uh, Maddie Spanger, our guest, coming up after this. Yep. I've got a Spanger question, actually. Oh, yeah? Do you want to ask him or me? Well, I think he played a bit of forward for Sydney Swans Yep. in that in that era. Mm. Do you ever play on him? We That probably would have been... Yeah, that'd be a good question to ask him. Um, we'll see if we can remember to do it. Um, <laughs> I don't think we ever played like man ma- matched up we played west coast v hawthorne in tasmania we played a game against each other and he had 30 and played very very well i really? just remember that and they they spanked us there you go i have to ask him about it right, we'll do that after this All right, without further ado uh the man the 
the the cult hero, the man who talked turned himself into a cult hero, and whether it was self proclaimed, whether it was led by the people, we'll never know. But this man and I were drafted very close together at the West Coast Eagles. His career started there just before mine, and he finished a premier in Hawthorne. We are joined by none other than Matthew Spanger. Hi, mate. Hey, gents. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, look, um, I don't know how this is still going, but you would have been a big fan of Backchat um, when you were when when you were when you were still playing at West Coast. I think I started Backchat up. I think Kyle Morton and I were doing it in the um, in the garage there with an the iPhone in the middle of us. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Although I must admit, I was a bit of a late adopter when it comes to Backchat, mainly because um, I just waited till Butsy got on the on the podcast. Oh, don't tell no, him that. Don't, but, do um, that. don't kill me like that. But. But it was uh, it was a nice form of nostalgia, really. It was like, uh, given we're separated by you know a country length, that um, it was a nice way for me to feel like I was back in the locker room a little bit. Back All right, with you boys, when you were doing that. So, how I usually start with guests uh, at the moment, Spain, it's with the same question. Um, now, I actually don't know where you're going to take this one, um, but we will get into a bit of your career. I think you've got an amazing footy story, and I'm actually pretty excited to interview you properly about it. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. But the first question we ask our guests is, you need to name your greatest sporting achievement not on the footy field. So, yeah, okay, you've won a premiership with Hawthorne. Good on you. No one cares. That don't impress me much. Yeah. We, 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 we want to know your greatest sporting achievement not in your sport of choice. Go. Yeah, it'd be... Uh, well, the two that immediately come to mind is... Uh, I like to think I was a good. I was better at athletics when I was a junior than, um, and so like my long distance was okay. And I once competed at the nationals, which is like absolutely pox. But the one that was yeah. okay, probably more impressive personally was, and the cricket ball actually reminded me of. It, that's why I was asking. Is I bowled a hat trick in the year eight Reds, which is like <laughs> below the number rankings to give you a category of how bad I was at cricket. Um, but to know that I could at least dominate that level with a with a hat trick, you know, and I mean, how many people have got to bowl a legitimate hat trick in a legitimate game? But I mean, I suppose legitimate game is too strong a term, really. Like it's those everyone gets two overs bowling and two overs batting kind of formats. But hey, look, I was happy with it. So hat trick. Um, that's about yeah. as, as successful as I got. Not bad. Cricket field. Was it in a regular season game or a final? Uh, no, nah, regular season. It was in a. Um, Scully's familiar with the APS school system over here. It was for Xavier, Xavier College. Right. So this cricket ball that you've that you've obviously as soon as you got on the call, that was probably one of the first things you you talk, you asked us about was this cricket ball. So this is my cricket mm-hmm. trophy. It's um, and people on the podcast might not know about this, but um, oh, they'll know. <laughs> literally anyone who's ever listened used to talk about this. Um, Chuit Hill Cricket Club, which is one of the premier cricket clubs in Perth, um. Under 12's best performance in a final, which is this, which is what that ball is from, that actual game. Five wickets for uh, 16 runs in a final. Um, I did actually, I was on a hat-trick ball as well, um, but then that was the end of the game. I bowled them all out. So um, I couldn't quite get the hat-trick, but I did end up with Pfeiffer um, in, in a final, which we lost. Well, that is super impressive, but how flat were you? 
about not being able to hold the hat trick or get the least the attempt at the hat trick. Yeah, look, I um I thought about it all off season, practiced real hard, and then bowled a uh, no ball off the pitch first ball of the game. Um, the next time I played, <laughs> so it did ruin the the hat trick ball for me. But that I don't know if the the hat trick beats my five for sixteen. I think it certainly does, to be honest. I mean, the fact that it was in year eight Reds, uh, and I'm I'm assuming there would have been at Xavier College. Uh, if you don't know, Dan's a very big school. It goes, it'll be A's, B's, C's, be like. C2s, yep. DAs. Diamonds. Yeah, yeah. There, there'd be a lot of teams before it gets to red. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so the fact that he's done it in that sort of level of cricket, which is very poor, <laughs> I think it's got to I think it's got to go close to beat it. All right. We'll need a whiteboard with it's, everyone's it's guess. Yeah, it's about as it gets, mate. Um, look, I want to get into your career a little bit. Um, for those listening that don't know Matt Spanger, he was a draft pick in the 30s somewhere, 34. 34, that's right. 34, I believe, um, which is pretty pretty high for what sort of player you spat out as. And, and none of this is meant as disrespect, but you're a battler. You, you're, you ended up being a battler just like me. <laughs> we were battlers. And, and, and as long as you accept that, that's okay. But I wanted to ask, you know, you, you came to West Coast, you were drafted there from Melbourne, um, a Victorian boy. You came into a team that, Played in two grand finals in two years, 2005, 2006. What sort of, uh, what sort of input did you have into those teams? And what, 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 tell me some stuff about that time of your AFL career. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, firstly, thanks for the, the battle <laughs> tag. But you're right, absolutely. Um, I came to terms long ago with what my football prowess actually was in terms of the output. So more than comfortable with that. And... In terms of uh, and one one I suppose edit to your intro there, Scoey. I actually arrived at the end of 05, so I wasn't part of the 05 uh. campaign where they lost, but um, certainly arrived off the back of that loss. Um, and I suppose when you don't have any basis comparison, but looking back on a career and then being lucky enough to be part of other premiership sides and the campaigns that they had and then even arriving at other clubs off the back of losing a grand final. It was interesting to see the mentality of the playing group um, back then. I know you had Butsy on last week speaking a little bit about the group back then as well. But um, I mean, first impressions, mate, I was a, you know, a very, like we all are when we get drafted, mostly like a young, many ways naive young man, just wanted to put my best foot forward. But um and to answer your question about input in terms of those campaigns, like all that campaign, it was as minimal as it gets. So I suppose my first three months was uh, was going okay and then uh, suffered a, an injury or was succumbed to an injury called osteitis pubis, which was more fashionable back then than it is now. I think it's more about load management um, that they find that sports science finally caught up with uh, the rigours of professional football in that respect. And fortunately, the athletes these days aren't, aren't suffering from that as much. But um, yeah, then I was basically, I went in for surgery, which again, to show you sort of how much footy changes, like I, you speak to any medical professional they say that surgery is the absolute last thing you do for osteotis pubis these days but it was just like a commonplace back then and i effectively missed the whole year so um my contribution would have been at maximum banter in the locker room for that premiership um <laughs> but what was good about it was uh was just the fact that you i mean as i said like when you're 18 you're just a bit of a sponge and you're trying to absorb as much as you can so to be around that um, from a football sense, was was really good in in many respects. And then, um, and look, you know, like that team, you know, as you know, Scully, like we went through some challenges at the back end of 
or back into those years when a lot of those guys were around and um but you learn a lot from that as well so um for me initially mate it was uh, a little bit of a passenger ride but it's probably one that set me up for certainly later in the career I remember you talking to me when I first got to the club. So you were there 12 months before I was and you spent a lot of that year injured. But I remember you telling me some pre-season sessions you used to, you used to be a good runner. Um, you probably still are really, but you, you used to do pre-season sessions with some of the midfielders and specifically with Juddy. I remember you telling me something about 200s or 400s. Do you know the sessions I'm talking to you about? Because we spoke to Sam Butler about it and he, he classified that midfield group as the hardest group of footballers he's ever come across in his time in the game. And, and we'll get into more of your journey in a little bit, but does that ring true? And, and tell me about those sessions you used to do with some of those midfielders. Yeah, I um, Yeah, there's a school out in Scarborough, which I, I can't recall anymore, but we used to do a lot of our preseason sessions there on like their grass, Ath's track. Um, St. Mary's. And yeah, thank you. And um. And I remember, uh, I, and I sort of alluded to the athletics background before, so I kind of loved those repeat speed sessions of like eights, fours and twos, maybe just because a little bit crazy, but enjoyed the running. And, um, and Juddy had a bit of that in him as well. And there was almost like an, an overriding philosophy, like if, um, if you broke Juddy, like, you'd, like the rest of the group was absolutely cooked, like Juddy would never be the one to break. And then I remember like one of the, my sessions... Wusher, though, it's, Wusher was famous for his last session before the Christmas break of just flogging us to death. <laughs> and um, and so it's basically everyone always knew that there was something coming that wasn't prescribed in like the team meeting about what the training session was, basically. And uh, but you just didn't know what it was. And it could have been anything. A lot of the time it was Jacob's Ladder in the Hills or it was on one occasion it was a beep test, I think. And then, um, you know, some occasions it's been... <laughs> Uh, like a, a swim session down at Scarborough or something. But it was, in this particular occasion, it was the session we did, um, which was, I think it was like two 1K, no, sorry, 1K, two eights, four fours, or like on six, eight, uh, sorry, six, four and two minutes respectively. And then, which is tough. And then, uh, then he was like, right, do it again. And, um, <laughs> and like Juddy... Like we got through the the one K and I think we got through the eights and then like if people were just dropping off and like it was just ridiculous and then Juddy broke in one of the fours and um and Wush just like blew the whistle and was like, Right, I got him. Like and that was kind of the session. It was like everyone just go home. And he was supposed to have like a big send off like Christmas party, but everyone just like lied on the ground for like thirty minutes after. And I I was in my mind I was like, That is like intense training, you know, that's um it's probably still one of the hardest sessions. Like I certainly can't remember that level of detail in almost any other footy session I did. So it obviously stuck in my mind <laughs> to some degree. Um, but I honestly loved it, and um, and I I love maybe this is more reflective of either my injury status for most of my career or maybe my football capacity. But I actually really enjoyed preseason because of the fact that everyone was quite unified. Like once the season starts, it can sometimes get a little bit tricky when players aren't playing games and things like that. Whereas the preseason, everyone's in a happy mood. It's a fresh start. You know, there's hope if you hadn't played a game and all that sort of stuff. So even though you're doing it tough, you're doing it tough together. So I always enjoyed that period. Plus, I loved training with my mates. So that was um, it was nice to go through that together, even though it was bloody tough. You played um, 56 games over, is it 13 or 14 years? It's 13 years. Mm Mm-mm. Nowhere near that. 11 years, mate. Oh, there you go. Um, 56 games over 11 years, three clubs. Um, you speak about loving pre-season. Um, 
once you got to the real stuff, to the to the games, can you reflect on, I guess, your whole career at, uh, across all three clubs as to why it was only 56 games? Could you pinpoint a reason? Oh, in part, um, probably different reasons at different clubs, to be fair. I think, well, initially I didn't play a game my first two seasons. And I mean, most uh, the short answer is injuries is a lot of the reason. And then injuries doesn't breed continuity, really. Um, so for me, like initially, yeah, didn't play any games in the first two years. Um, I didn't play a game in terms of even like waffle footy or anything in my first year. And then the second year, um, four games into the season, the waffle season, I did my shoulder. Um, and then uh, the club decided to put me for surgery halfway through that season and fortunately give me another contract. But that was sort of, it just meant that there was no games that year. And the plan was to come back and then um, have a crack in the third season. So for that, um, which was probably at the time a good decision really, um, given that we had at the time pretty strong key defenders and we were going well, it would have been unrealistic for me to probably break into that side anyway. like So, um, but uh, having said that, Scully, you did and you were pretty ordinary back then. Um, so... <laughs> So who knows? But um, no, but honestly, and then like, and then as it sort of played out, and sort of the nature of of that, and now having worked in the footy landscape, there are a lot more conversations behind behind the the scenes of, away from the track about players' durability that are important that I, I probably wasn't aware of. And then um, you know, the year after I got there, you arrived, Scully, Eric McKenzie arrives, and I have no issues. And so Mitch Brown as well. And I have no issues in suggesting that all three of you are much better key defenders than I was. So um, so in terms of West Coast, it probably came down to more around not being able to get on there early enough, the track early enough, and then guys just probably went past me in that respect. And um, I wasn't the most elite kick. Certainly, I don't pretend that I was, but... Um, at West Coast, once you sort of get pigeonholed there as well, I got pigeonholed a little bit in terms of that, and we weren't going well, and you could just tell what like, time was up there. Whereas the fresh start at Sydney actually was, was probably the the most well received I felt by the coaches and the playing group, even though I only played six games there. Um, it was uh, it, the only reason I didn't play there was purely because of injuries. I um, I missed the first preseason. I tore my quad. Uh, and missed 19 weeks with a torn quad. Um, Decent quaddy. And then finally came back in the last uh, and played played the last, uh, effectively the last six games of the year, including the finals, and then came into preseason and was um, raring to go. It was pretty much, you know, my spot playing as a forward, actually, at Swans, and um, and then had another really bad hamstring injury, another, like, 16-week hamstring injury, and then just kept re-tearing it that season. So, uh, and then at the Hawks... I arrived at a good. I actually moved to the Hawks, knowing that I was coming as a effectively a backup player. That was the conversation, um, but I was. I could understand that I was probably that anyway at the Swans, and Hawthorne offered me more time in the game, which is what I thought I needed at the time. And then um, the way things fell in 2014, there was a retiring of Brent Guerra in 20 at the end of 2013, and a spot was opened up in the back line, and it, and it all worked well. And then, um, and then 2015. Again, I, after 2014, basically just another shocking run of injuries. So, um, which, you know, and not injuries that were ever season ending, but those ones where it'd be hamstrings that were often like 
four weeks here, come back, tear it again, come back, tear a calf. Like there was just no opportunity. And then, yeah. And funnily enough, thought that you have real conversations at that stage of your career and the coaches just like, we just can't rely on you being on the pitch. Like it's, and my final game just sort of to, to really earmark that was three minutes played at the Gabba, I told Hammy again at the end. So, um, yeah, and you tried to run it out. Kind of, You're on the sideline trying yeah, to run out a hammy, mate. I remember that. Yeah, well, it was, um, like you've done hammies, Scully, I think, from memory. But, but it was um, like this one was uh, was was more tendon than it was than the belly of the muscle. So like it it wasn't like that debilitating while it was warm, and then once it cooled down, it was uh, I couldn't really move. So that was kind of kind of why. Maybe that was just my mental capacity trying to convince myself nothing was wrong but it was uh yeah it wasn't wasn't as good and that was that was effectively it mate that was that was the career over after that when you um you talked about going uh, forward <clears throat> excuse me at, at sydney i was just having a look at your goals sort of spread over your career so three at west coast two at hawthorne but but eight in, at sydney and that was only over six goals so what was the change there that you were were you just in front of goals a bit more often obviously moving forward but were you just a straighter kick for those six games well, honestly, it was more. Um, I don't. I didn't play a single game at the Swans as a defender. Um, so I, uh, I was I recruited there as a defender initially, and then um, the NEFL competition, as it was back then, wasn't overly strong, and um, the Swans reserves often often played pretty well against some teams. And we played a game. I believe it was Sydney Uni in their first year in the NEFL, like 2011. I could be wrong on that, but I think it was where. We'd, uh, we played them uh, as a curtain raiser at the SDG and after the first quarter, it was like 60 points to nil and they hadn't had an inside 50. Um, and <laughs> basically, the coach at the time was Jared Crouch. He just said, like, boys, swap ends. Like, like I was kicking sort of rules. Like, forwards become defenders, defenders come forwards just to get some people into the game. And um, I'm kicking six for that, for that game. But I think, like, you know, Jared, I think Jared Moore kicked 10 or something like that. Like, it was a bit <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but uh, but then they were, oh, well, like, they were pleased with, like, the patterns and all that sort of stuff, the way it worked. And um, and then, yeah, and then the next week played again, just played forward a, a more competitive game, kicked kicked, sorry, kicked another few goals. And um, and then, yeah, and then it just a spot opened up in terms of the forward line and what they were after. Like, Jesse White was injured and Lewis Roberts-Thompson was was coming back from injury as well. So um, just a spot opened up. Really, that's all that came down to in terms of in terms of hitting the scoreboard there. And then at the Hawks, yeah, I mean, I, I've played a couple of games forward, but mainly as a defender again. Um, I want to... Are you going? Yeah, I was, gonna, I was just going to ask, like, getting injured is pretty rubbish and seemed to happen quite a bit. What, what, kept you, what kept you going, thinking, all right, I'm going to rehab this, get back on? Like, you know, a lot of people probably would have thought, nah, my body just can't handle this and, and probably thrown in the towel earlier. I mean, playing for 11 seasons is quite a, quite a long time to then go through that many injuries. What was it for you that kept you just going, yep, I'm coming back? Oh, short answer, you know, for love of the game. Like I always wanted to play as much as I could. And um, I was probably lucky early days. I had some really good mentors in the rehab space that probably – showed me a little bit about what the attitude looks like and how, and that you can still enjoy elements of that and make grounds in those times, even though it's a little bit, uh, or certainly debilitating can be on at times lonely and things like that. But, um, certainly Brad Smith, who I know, I think still involved with the, with the Eagles, um, was unreal for me 
early days. Like he was someone um, who worked really hard. And then Damien Atkins as well were two that sort of came to mind. And even Travis Gasper, if I'm talking about old school Eagles names. And then, um, I, yeah, it's it's one of those things. I've, like, I've really always enjoyed the work and I like enjoyed that feeling of working and like stretching myself. So that's probably like you give yourself little challenges. But um, deep down as well, I probably always thought I was good enough to contribute once I was fit. Um, I just needed to get out there. And so uh, that was always a driving factor. And I was also lucky to always be at successful teams. And you just want to be out there and be part of it. And that was enough of a motivation, really. All right. So talk to me about what made these teams good. Because you played in the era with West Coast, uh, like I said, that came off the back of losing grand final. Um, You were drafted. They won a grand final in 2006. Um, You then played a few more seasons. You moved to Sydney, who were a part of a winning grand final while you were in the squad. And then Hawthorne, you were there through their three-peat, 13, 14, 15. So breaking each one down, what what made West Coast good? Short answer, West Coast was was the cattle. Um, They, and Butsy alluded to it last week, and still sort of when I still think back at the names that were in that midfield and the reference number, it was... It's hard to sort of think about a midfield that was as dominant one-on-one as those guys were. Um, but I suppose, uh, you know, for me, I, the what I and it was sort of fast-forwarding a little bit. But I mean, the difference I suppose between that time and then um, my time at the Haw- at the Hawks was the mentality of sustained success. So there was a little like there's a bit of a shift where I think. Certainly, I entered the system like winning a premiership was it was almost enough, and um, there almost wasn't even a I wasn't a great thought on like going back to back, like it wasn't really discussed. Like, you know, you know, seven when you arrived, Scully, I don't know if you recall like whether that like being the being the chat, like it wasn't, I don't really recall that being a prominent, like, yeah, let's go back to back. Like, we'd probably just um, the guys that obviously just lost 05, probably a little bit of relief and in many ways, redemption in in 06 and then some significant dramas in the off season of 06 into 07 that probably just guys were just happy to be back and playing footy and not thinking too much about the drive but the the actual work rate of those guys in that season of 06 was was really noticeable and um i think football training programs probably were a little bit different back then like in the, i still probably had a hint of the old school and um and guys that were even at the end of their careers in that time, like Drew Banfield, you know, comes through in the nineties, like where he has got like a full-time job basically when he first started playing. Um, it was really interesting to have those guys as, as mentality, as their mentalities. And, um, and like Dave Wilpender also comes to mind in that sort of echelon. And then translate that into the new sort of crop coming through who were effectively like the first time professional footballers. So, it was really interesting to see that, but the work rate for those guys was what shone through. Sydney was um, was interesting. It was, uh, I don't think it's ever one thing, by the way, for all these things. But if we're trying to point, point out differences, like Sydney had a really, I don't know, like you'll hate this guy, like the the bloods, the bloods culture, the tagline, the bloods. Yeah, but um, but it wasn't. Um, it was less about like what like that word the bloods and it was more just about like a bit of a, like a brotherhood because you you don't you are there by yourselves effectively and you didn't really know anyone like no 
other than Kieran Jack, I don't think anyone was really from Sydney or maybe like LRT. But like, so everyone sort of comes there and you need to to really bond one another. Like that's sort of a nice organic symptom of playing for the Swans and I guess the Giants these days. Um, but uh, but for me, and then the, the Hawks was probably the place I was paying the most attention to all that stuff. And uh, and for me, other than the what I thought was the players there, they obviously had some pretty quality players themselves who I dare say most all, or there'll probably be five or six Hall of Famers who might sneak through from that, that era. But it was also, um, I had the clearest understanding of what my role was on any given day when I got to the Hawks versus the other teams. Um, and even more to that, I actually knew what other people's role was. Now, that was probably more reflective of where my football maturity was by the time I got to the Hawks. But it was really instilled in everyone to be more aware of your own space. And um, that was a big part of the versatility message that Clarko would push, but also the fact that communication was such a high priority and that was actually measured and KPIs were based on that as best they could and things like that, which I think made that team a little bit more successful than others. And I've just felt sort of privileged to be a part of that, to be honest. What about uh, each coach? So you've played under three premiership coaches. Uh, more, if I've, have you played with more or is three correct? Uh, no, just just the three. Yeah, just the three. So, That's more than most. I shouldn't say just the three. Yeah, Worsfold, <laughs> Longmire, Clarkson. Um, from afar, they seem quite different, are they? And again, what, what makes them good coaches? Because I'm sure they all have weaknesses. I'm sure they have differences that sets them apart. And everyone does. But what are their strengths? What makes them good at what they do? Because they've coached a team to a premiership. Yeah, I think, um, well, chronologically, I think Wusher, when he was uh, like in 05 and 06, when I got there, footy was still that one-on-one brand. And I I, I mean, I was young, but I recall watching Wusher play. And then, you know, he certainly brought a lot of that mentality into the way we trained and the way we played. Um, and then when we had those players that I referenced earlier, like it's, if you sort of combine that talent with that work rate and then that, rough men also that tough mentality it's a good combination that's something he instilled certainly um i thought that was you know that was a, a good positive here i suppose um you know wish i probably i probably didn't well I, that's just my opinion of course i don't think we adapted as a team enough to the new style of footy um as we were going down i know we lost a lot of players as well which didn't help but i think we were we were we were slow to react to certainly like a zone defense and a team team defense ethic um, at the Eagles initially, and then uh, at the at the Swans horse uh, look, I horses. I, John I, I really love horse. anyone, anyone listening. Yeah, John sorry, yeah, yeah, horse. I, um, I, I absolutely loved playing for horse. Like he um, he was the kindest person you'd ever meet off the field and so genuine and like he's, he's got like a real baritone deep voice but like he's real nurturing with it and then like game day gets wild on fever like you wouldn't believe in terms from a coaching point of view and there was almost like you don't want to let that person down and then you mix that with almost fear of just like oh my god what is happening on game day that 
that he got the he got the best out of. Well, certainly got the best out of me in those respects. The games that I played, and then so, so, sorry, um, to, sorry to butt in. Did did they have all have an element of fear? Because like I was always scared of Wusher, and I know you were too. You just said you've you're relatively scared of of horse on game day only. And Clarkson, he he looks like honestly, he looks like the scariest of the lot. He, he looks like the, the you know the the silent assassin, like who will, will kill you. Uh, was there an element of fear? Because is that right? Yeah, there would there would have to be. I think the percentage drops off as you get older. I think when you just realise they are just people. But certainly, there's um, and Clarko's got some great ones. You're right. Like I think if you're talking stories of. Um, of crazy moments. I think Wusher and Clarko would be toe-to-toe. Like, Wusher had some crazy ones, but they were almost like the legend or the myth of Wusher as opposed to actually locker room or game day instructions, whereas Clarko just had some absolute like ballistic moments. Any any um, you can share? Oh, there's ones that are like well-documented, like where he... Um, like he would... Uh, he like got so worked up and so angry, like, you know, post-game meeting... Um, like hit himself in the head and like legitimately concussed himself and like stumbled. Like he was just like so worked up. Um, (laughs) um, But then he would like, he would, he would feed off that fear as well. Like he'd walk in if we played a bad game and um, like say, I just walk straight in the bed closed and goes, boys, I hope you're wearing your helmets because I'm throwing grenades today. And then guys would just like sink in their chairs. And, um, but then at the same time, he was very quick to, to point out or I'd point out, you know, if someone did the right thing and, and push the team ethos. So it's, um, I, I don't know if all coaches are like that. And um, certainly none of my assistant coaches were really like that. I think the, the, the assistants and the, and the senior coach often need to compliment each other in terms of what they, what they bring to the team. Um, Cause you can't all be crazy, I suppose. Do you think you'll um, bring, some sort of element of crazy as now moving into that assistant coaching role. Do you have something up your sleeve that you can, um, you know, like a, a throwing grenades line or something to instill fear in the players? Oh, no, nothing that comes to mind. I might, maybe I'll borrow a few from Clarko, but I, that's definitely just not my style. Like <laughs> it would just, it would not seem authentic. And if there's one thing uh, players can smell, it's uh, it's a bit of bullshit. So, so you must be excited about that. Dan's talking about, of course, you've just been appointed as the Western Bulldogs assistant coach in the forward line. Um, how, how did that come about? Because you haven't been coaching post-footy. And uh, what, what does that mean for you coming into a team that's just played in the grand final under a, clearly a great coach like Luke, Luke Beveridge? Yeah, well, um, I've had some dialogue since finishing footy with Bevo. I, he, I was lucky enough he was uh, one of my assistant coaches whilst I was at the Hawks and we had a really good working relationship and um, maybe the nature of, of playing or playing under him in a premiership side like you know we've certainly kept touch and been um, you know relatively close in that respect and I've always used him as a little bit of a sounding board in terms of across some footy stuff and then I um, he was keen for me to potentially do some stuff when I first finished uh, but I was really keen to step out of footy for a little bit and experience, you know, what else the world has got to offer. Um, and then effectively, I, I stepped back into footy at a role at Collingwood, actually an operations role across, you know, quite a few things, a bit of a, you know, Swiss Army knife of, of roles across welfare, NGA and VFL over here. And and with that comes certainly some coaching responsibilities when we're a bit short-staffed and probably start to get a bit of an appetite for it. Um, 
over the last 12 months. And then uh, just as it turned out, opportunity arrived at the Bulldogs and I had a good chat to Bebo about it and um, sort of talked through what they're looking for in terms of someone uh, in terms of probably more around who can work with what is a young, really young group other than Josh Bruce really in their forward line. Um, and Ash Hansen, who was a you know teammate of ours, Goey was the, the forwards coach there and, you know, Big Red as well. And, you know, probably is one of the most genuine people to play the game that I've played with. Um, and I think they, not to say that I'm you know, as nice as Ash Hansen, but I think they were looking for a real relationship person who can sort of work with that younger crop as opposed to, Maybe an old school footy head who was uh, who was looking to bring in some some real tactics or something like in that respect. Um, you, and in terms of coming to a team from the grand final, sorry, I was going to say I'm no, no, actually pretty excited about it. Like it's a to come to a team who's lost the grand final. This you know, and the fact they are so young. I mean, I look at that list and you know you can't help but get excited about something like that. Do you do you think that uh, you've been around groups that have lost grand finals as of as of I? Do you think that'll be a big uh, benefit for the group. I mean, I, I look at you going into a young group. I know the sort of person you are, young, uh, you know, a younger coach, relationship guy. Do you think you'll be able to instill some knowledge about what it means to lose a grand final and what that means for the years coming up for this young group? Uh, yes and no. You, when it comes to those sorts of things, you've got to be mindful that it's not your journey as well, right? So it's. Um, you don't want to necessarily pass on messages to these guys like, you know, back in my day kind of attitude. <laughs> as fun as anecdotes and some stories are, you know, you just, uh, the game does change pretty quickly. And But also, respectfully, they don't give a shit about what, what I felt. And you need to let them learn that. Now, you need to guide them, I suppose, in some degrees and um, try and at least get them to recognise there are so many good learnings that can come from, from something like that, which... Um, my initial introduction to, to this group and some of the players is you know, they, they won't need too much steering. I think they're, they're well-led and luckily they've had some success themselves, many of them in 16. So to then lose last year, I think the, like, you don't certainly have to instill hunger. That's, that's for sure. But you're right, Scott, there will be little things along the way, but in terms of I'm not going to come in there with a mantra of, uh, you know, this is what you need to do, this is the formula, because it just doesn't ring true for every group. Happens a lot um, in sports, you know, not not just footy, but players who play for a while and sort of, you know, they become a coach and they say, you know, pretty much always knew I was going to become a coach at some point. Was that ever a thing for you or, or was it, you know, later on in your footy career that you thought, oh, I might want to hang around and do some coaching? Yeah, well, certainly I wasn't one that was, um, you know, whilst I was playing was like, I want to be a coach or anything like that. That wasn't... Um, wasn't the actual, what I did know is that I wanted to be involved in footy though. Um, despite the many, uh, you know, the many setbacks and challenges that I had, I fundamentally loved my career and got some really great moments about it. And, um, and as a result, I wanted to stay involved in the game if I could. So uh, for me, uh, the opportunity to do that now in a, in a coaching format was well, first and foremost, the challenge I was excited about, as I mentioned before, but one that you know I feel like my journey, I can you, know, you can add some you can add some value, and uh, I like to think as well the fact that I was able to hang around for in the game for so long without much output meant that my 
my footy acumen was actually reasonable when I was out on the park. But um, so it meant that, you know, picking up the game, I actually find it fascinating. I'm interested in those, those nuances of coaching. But in terms of, you know, when I was 25 or whatever, I was like, yeah, this is the pathway. No, it really wasn't. I took a roundabout way to get, to get here, in honesty. Right. I want to take you to Hawthorne. Um, you failed at West Coast to win a flag. You didn't have great opportunity because of injury. You failed at Sydney. You had a chance. You, you played some finals, but then injury crueled you again. Come third club, you must be thinking, I kind of know what you're thinking, but you must be thinking, am I going to get my opportunity to win a premiership? Um, 2014. You win the 14 or 13? Sorry, I should know that. No, I won 14. So, yeah, I missed <laughs> yeah, another so, one in 13. Before so, then as well. so you missed another in 13. You must be at that stage of your career thinking, I'm not going to get a chance to win one. Is, is that how you're feeling? Uh you know me better than that, Scully. No, I never <laughs> thought that. I um, look, I uh, I don't get me wrong. I would have loved to have, to have been. I suppose each one of them was was so different in terms of missing, if that makes sense. To so it wasn't as if you didn't bundle them up as like three missed ones, as I alluded to earlier. Like the the West Coast one, I was absolutely just a passenger, and it was almost just a privilege to have the, like a front row seat to that. Um, the Sydney one. Of all of them, maybe that one and 15 probably hurt the most because uh, there was just my body that failed me, honestly. I, I truly believe that if I was fit enough, I, I would have played in probably both those games. Um, but uh, particularly the 12 one because I, just, I didn't play a single AFL game in 2012. I just couldn't, I couldn't get going. just kept tearing my hamstring. So that one really hurt. That was, that was, that was tough to miss out on. And rightly or wrongly, the way Sydney um, went about it post-game is a little bit more excluded rather than like a full squad mentality. It was it was about the, well, then 23 players. So it was, um, so that was tough. And then 2013, very different. I, as I sort of mentioned before, I, I came to Hawthorne probably knowing what my role in the, in the organisation was. And I actually played round 20... 23 and and the first final for Hawthorne as a forward and played played all right but I only played the first final because um because Bud was but, suspended but, Buddy was out <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you played well and, in that um, first final I remember messaging you yeah it was it was like, put it this way it was like, it wasn't like an eight goal haul or anything but it was it was okay and um and Simo, who was my line coach then as a forward at the time. Adam Simpson. Um, yeah. Uh, it was great. Like, sat me down on, on Monday morning, you do your tapes. And he's like, Spang, first and foremost, well done the weekend. You're not playing this week. Bud's back. Like, that, was, <laughs> that, that was it. And then you could, like, which, like, of course, I'm not going to take Buddy Franklin's spot in the side. So, but it's... I think Simon and I had the relationship where he could be that honest with me, and I was probably at a point in my career where I could have that that feedback. Um, plus, Hawthorne at the time, their, their VFL affiliate Box Hill was going really well, and we were actually, you know, we had our own finals campaign going at that time anyway. So, like, there was still plenty to play for. Um, and so, for me, 2013, I felt, I felt I was in a position for that, that grand final. And I felt like I was where. I was placed. I didn't feel hard done by. 
I, that team, that is exactly where I should have sat in terms of selection, and I was comfortable with that. So, and plus, we were able. Sorry, yeah. I was going to say we had some success at Boxer. We won the flag that year, the week before the AFL Grand Final. So it wasn't as if you like you had a you had something to hang your hat on for that year. So 2014 comes around. Um, you're you're in the team, more solid position. L- leave out that year, but but coming into that Grand Final, t- t- talk to me about the feeling. How did you feel Grand Final day? What what, what did it feel like? Um, did you feel relaxed? Did you feel like your whole career was on the line? Were you just focused, role, role position? Where, where was your mind at coming into it and, and the week leading up to it? Yeah, certainly. Well, my preliminary final was pretty ordinary. I didn't play that well. Um, and, and again, probably to the point of the, the relationship that I had with some of the coaches at that stage in my career, but like Clarko pulled me up on that pretty quickly um, to say like, you know, I was, I was wound up pretty tight and like I played, I looked like I played tense. Um, but to his credit, he basically called me, I think it was either Monday, I think it was Monday night um, and just told me that I was playing. He's like, Spang, relax, you're playing this week, enjoy the week, like wrap your head around it. Um, which was at the time, I probably didn't appreciate how much I needed that early uh, reassurement of my position in the team, but it certainly allowed me to soak up everything that that week has to offer. And it's, it is a unique week. Um, although I got to, you know, I effectively got to live it as, you know, training with the previous three teams that played in the grand final that I was part of. Like it's a, it's different when you know you're part of the 22 and, um, and for me, that was, that was great. Um, and then it is, a, I mean, you've done it, Scoey. Like, it's all the the hoopla with the parade and stuff like that. It's um, like it's it's crazy to think, but it's not normal. So I think you need to wrap your head around that it's not a normal week. And um, and then the day itself was, uh, like, I really enjoyed it. I, it's quite, like, I, I still have vivid memories of of how it was all going. Like, I'd, I'd had some car troubles a couple of weeks earlier, so I was... <laughs> I was borrowing. I borrowed my my Donna's car, which was like a <laughs> like a '96 Corolla or something. Oh, that's that good. <laughs> to, to roll up to the granny and and Hodgy was behind me, and he was like, "Who the fuck is in that car?" Um, so um, some nana has lost so her thanks, spot. Thanks. Doesn't know where she is. Yeah, so. Fortunately, she didn't need it that much, too much that week. Um, How'd you play? But uh, like, and then, uh, look, I think okay. I didn't, uh, I didn't star, but you know, I think holistically the whole team played pretty well that day. Um, I haven't watched it back too many times. I've only watched it back once, but we, um, we certainly we played well. Like the, the first half was was really good, and then the second half was. Um, well, it's probably by three quarter time. We'd, we'd, I'd certainly had confidence that we'd won it. But, um, but as a backline unit as well, we did really well that day. Other than Bud kicking four, but just showed like, the prowess of a, of, I think you know, roughly a sixty point loss. He was still able to kick four goals. Like he was peak of his powers, almost sort of around that that era, and um, and he was unreal. But yeah, it was a it was a good unit. Good unit, so, I suppose that game. So I've got a little story to share here, Dan. Um, so. I, uh, 
So Matt and I, Matt was drafted 12 months before I was to West Coast. We're both key position players, both from uh, private school families in Victoria, got both loving families. We connected pretty early on in our time at West Coast. Uh, the, the first reason was um, uh, the first training session, Shannon Hearn picked me up for training. And, uh, and I was like, who is this old guy driving me to training? And... <laughs> I remember Art, like, sort of, I didn't know who he was, and I was sort of, like, asking him, being nicely, you know, how long you been at the club, uh, you know, it must be good having some good relationships over here, and he, he was Spang's age, like, he was not, he was he was 18, he was 18 turning 19. Actually, he's younger than me. Yeah, I thought he was 25, anyway, so he gave me my first lift to training, and I was like, look, I can't have this, like, middle-aged player driving me to training. <laughs> Uh, I want, like, someone younger. I want to, like, you know, so, so Spang lived around the corner and Spang actually drove me to my second session. He reached out and said, oh, take me along. Anyway, I'm just giving you some context. We moved out together, lived together for a couple of years in Scarborough, um, spent our formative years together, right? Matt went on and, uh, you know, starred for Sydney and starred for Hawthorne, followed his career. We were, uh, you know, groomsmen at each other's wedding, Um Matt gave me the honour of speaking at his. I did not give him the honour of speaking at mine, but I didn't give anyone else the honour, so you missed out. Bad luck, Spain. But in 2014, I'd known his whole career. I'd known his trials, tribulation, his injuries, everything that had happened, and I didn't have a ticket to the grand final. And and I thought, uh, Hawthorne had been the best team all year, and I just uh, I had a feeling they were going to win. Spain was in it, and I just thought, like, I, got, I have to get there. Yep. Don't know how I'm going to get tickets. Anyway, the week before the grand final, I'm still not going to the grand final. I don't have flights, nothing. Anyway, a text message comes out through the club and it says, uh, does anyone want to do the grand final sprint? Yes. And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> and it said, uh, you get uh, two flights for you and a partner and two tickets as the payment. Yes, please. That's me. <laughs> so 2014, I did the grand final sprint, right? And... Uh, I didn't want to be stuffing around halfway through the game, trying to get into the final, and and because that, that's what happens. They do heats before the game, then they do the final, the final eight, in the middle of the game. I was like, well, I'm not having none of that. I just want to be here for the tickets. I want to get blind. I want to enjoy watching my best mate play in a grand final and win it. Um, so the heat, it was between, um, it was between eight of us, and the top four went to the final. There was only there was only um, three guys that wanted to actually make the final. Five of us didn't want to make the final. <laughs> so, and, and we we're all chatting beforehand. And I'm like, look, I'm telling you, fellas, if I have to walk, if I have to lie down and crawl, I'm not making the final. So we we come out of the, this is the heat. Ready, set, go. Gun goes. We come out. Three guys go piss bolting off. There's five of us effectively walking down the straight. It was an absolute embarrassing debacle of a sprint. Like there's charity money to charity for this stuff. There's five of us. No one wants to take that fourth position to make the final. And I ended up literally stopping in the heat. I just said, I'm not going to, boys, you just, someone's going to have to go here. I'm not making the final. I'm telling you right now. I can't remember who it was. Someone took the bait, made the final. I got to watch in the stands, my best mate win a grand final. And in that year, Spain, um, that's my story. But that year, you became this, uh, well, it was a cult figure. You, you, mm. you, you, you garnered cult figure status, um, not only in Melbourne, but across Australia as, oh, some people called you Jesus. We'll say that. This is not a religious term. This is just your long flowing locks no. and your 
you know, unshaven Can beard. I just give you a quote? Yeah, please. Um, this is from your mate, John Ralph. Ralphie. Uh, he said in The Sun, let's face it, when you look at half... When you look at him, half rock god and half Jesus, men want to be you and women want to be with you. Half <laughs> rock god, half Jesus. So that's what you became in 2014. How did how did that come about? How did that feel? And tell me about it, please. Uh, yeah. It, um, Don't be shy. Well, firstly, thanks for your anecdote about the uh, the anecdote about the grand final sprint. I I forgot to mention that I did enjoy your presence. Couldn't you just like you know do uh, the thing where you pull up with a hammy result. or something? Yeah, there was but there was five of us that wanted to do that. <laughs> so that was the thing. <laughs> no, you did well. You did well. I did appreciate that. And before answering your other question about um, rock the god Jesus and stuff, rock I uh, my my one uh, I do have one regret, Scoey, that I wasn't able to get. Back from the UK to get back for your grand final. No, 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 we're coming. We'll come to that next. I got a question about that. <laughs> um, but uh, to go back to the original thing, it actually sort of started the year before, and it was probably more reflection on the Box Hill fans. Um, you know, similar to the Waffle Clubs, like you've got some the old state league clubs over here. The what, like the, the not just the standalone BFL teams have got um, some really like you know, ingrained diehard fans from yesteryear that sort of still get involved. And so a few of them who are now still adopting the Hawks as well. At Box Hill, there's a few of them and they really, really got around the look. Um, Which, it's funny because nowadays, like, you know, every single, almost everyone's got long hair and a beard and stuff. But I feel like Scully, like back then, there weren't too many of us doing that. I feel like it was, um, at least initially, it wasn't like a common thing. And then... uh, and yeah, and I think um, maybe combined with all the stuff we've discussed in terms of uh, a footy journey that wasn't smooth, and then my style of footy, as you know, Scully, wasn't uh, wasn't graceful. So um, all those things, I think, combined to really uh, and the rise of Instagram maybe helped. So like it was a it was a crazy time, and I it was pretty funny like to to live that. Um, did you have any? But, uh, I certainly. Did you have any stories? Like any, 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 what like any jumping lines. Well, there was some. There was like, I, I, I flattering, but like there was a fan that got like, my name tattooed on her arm and stuff like that. So that was pretty intense. Um, <laughs> which, um, which and like. You know what they're like, the fans. Like, I don't know, actually. I can't. Well, I was like at the Eagles, it was always closed off, but at the Hawks, it was like a public venue, so like, people would just be there. And um, I once had, there's, a, I think it might be on my Instagram. There's a photo of someone made a, effectively like a Muppet, like a, a like a puppet, like of me, <laughs> and I like, brought it to training. Voodoo doll. That was probably the other craziest thing that happened. That was unbelievably complimentary. But also, you know, terrifying. Well, like, yeah, well, to to put this in context, Dan, um, there was a there was like a nationwide drinking game for the grand final, where any touch Matt Spanger got in the grand final, right, you had to scream Spanger and scull your drink. <laughs> right, so it wasn't a dangerous drinking game because I think you got 15, 15 or sixteen touches. Well. 
double digits was something Spain didn't do very often in his career. So it was it was often you know, quite a mild drinking game. But, no. uh, but, but trust me, I can say that because I was the same. But the grand final, there was literally half a bay of people that Alex and I were sitting in screaming spanger every time he touched it and sculling drinks. And he had 16, so everyone in this bay was absolutely shit-faced and screaming spanger for the whole grand final. It was unreal. Did you um? Yeah. Do you have time? It was um. It was nice. It was a nice to be received that way. Sorry, sorry, Dan. No, no, no. It's just uh, before um before we chatted, I was having a look um at the Sir Matthew Spanger Facebook page and some of the posts. Do you have, do you ever take a look at that? It's like a fan page. I didn't know if it was you behind uh-huh. it or not. <laughs> no, no, it's not my creation. I did um. I did actually meet the person one one evening out who who created that, and it was just like a you know like a nineteen year old kid at the time, um, which is probably typical of my of my fan base is normally like adolescent like or like early adulthood private schoolboys from Melbourne who just like love getting around me and like hit me up at stakes day at the races or 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 like elderly women. So like, who uh, seems to be like the primary like fan base, which is still very nice, but that seems to be the demographic that gravitate towards the that era of football. It does have um thirteen thousand people that like the page. The last post was this from from twenty uh, third of June twenty seventeen. It says Ryan Burton is the next me, and that's the last we've seen on on the um Sir Matthew Spanger page. I. Uh... Hey, look, I loved Berto. I got to play with Berto for a year, and I, um, I think he, I think he was a really he's a good kid, and well, he's not a kid anymore. But uh, I would have been more than happy to pass the baton to someone like that if <laughs> I, that was the case. I just remembered a story that I was meaning to touch on earlier on in your career. Now, um, a lot of your friends and 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 friends of mine are, are Melbourne Demons supporters, so it must have been a big year for for yeah, them to for, for them to win the grand final. Correct. You, you, that, that must have been a great yeah, year. Yeah. I know where you're going with this, by the way, and yeah. <laughs> so, talk to me about early on in your career. About look, we're not gonna we're not gonna name who this is, but talk to me about Demon Dave. <laughs> yeah, tell, um, tell me what happened there. Well, Demon Dave is a online name or hook or whatever for like a for like a good friend of of mine. Who just an avid, avid D's fan and would hit the blogs and things like that. Fan footy, big fan footy. Anyway, fan. yeah, yeah, huge fan. So he's had a big, he's had a big year, Demon Dave. Um, he's still but, on fan um, footy, guarantee. He's still on. <laughs> so we um, and it's a really like honestly, it was a good lesson for me to learn early, and fortunately, it didn't cost too much other than just a significant load of embarrassment. I think for me. Um, <laughs> But I, I effectively, uh, I, I remember I went to, uh, I went to like, a, as you do, you sit in the team meeting or whatever. And then as I was leaving the team meeting, like we were playing Melbourne. This is in 06. We were playing Melbourne uh, that week. And uh, I, my, my mate, Demon Dave, rings me and answered the phone call because why wouldn't I? And he's uh, just talking chit-chat. And he's like, you got the days this week. Like anything you can tell me. Like I was like, no, nah, mate, like I'm not. Not, I didn't have any information anyway. Like, not that I was in any of the like the, the deeper meetings other than team selection. And um, 
And I just a throwaway line, like off the back of him, just pressures like, oh, I think like, you know, like Matty Rosa might be running with Travis Johnson or something like might be the only like significant thing that I mentioned. And um, anyway, and then he naively like posted that on a forum that one of the other deep footy fans then uh, backtracked and realised that the person who'd posted that had reference that they were friends with me from, you know, eight months earlier when I'd been drafted or whatever and connected the dots. And then it became like a full news story that, you know, player leaks information and stuff like that. Must have been a slow news week, clearly. Oh, man. Um, but but I'd actually got on a flight that Friday night to come back to Melbourne because I was injured and it was like been given a weekend back in Melbourne. And so like I woke up on a Sunday morning after like going out with some mates, probably with Demon Dave, to like an article in the back page of the paper and it calls from the, you know, the PDM at the Eagles at the time. Like, and I was like, oh my God, like what, what is this? And it was just way bigger than what it was. And in the end, I don't even think Rose actually was running with him. I actually think the information was wrong or like it was only like, it was only like at, like at one battery throw in or something so stupid. But well, like the premise of it. Um, yeah. I was just gonna say, well, like, for me though, like as a young player and like, it was just really like, be mindful of who you release information to. And in my role this year, at, well, that I just had at the pie, certainly in that, that PDM space. And as a, you know, I figure dealing a lot with the younger players, I often use that story as a, as a way to like, to be, be careful on, on what information you do reveal. Cause you just don't know to what degree someone would release it. And uh, I still am good friends with the demon Dave and I trust him with my life. So it's not as if it was like a, um, it was as if it was just like a stupid thing that just that turned out to be bigger than what it was, which is, and as Scully brings it up, because we absolutely still take the piss out of Demon Dave for this regularly. <laughs> um, so amongst our friendship group, it's a, it is a thing. And he felt worse than anyone about it as well. So, um, which, you know, that's all. But it's, it was just a lesson we both learned. Um, and the last one on the grand final, Dan, I know you want to get to social media, and I certainly do. Um <laughs> Two, two things. I've got to be one of the only opposition players to be in the premiership rooms for when someone won it. So after winning, uh, losing the grand final heat sprints uh, and Spang won and I'd been yelling Spanger and sculling my beers, I thought, <laughs> well, I'm here now. I'm getting into the rooms. So I literally just acted like I was someone and walked into the Hawthorne rooms and I was in the rooms with Spang having a beer with his premiership medal. So that was a proud moment in my life. Fast forward to 2018, uh, Matt was living in London and at some stage you were weighing up on coming back, weren't you, for that game? Yeah, honestly, like I, I really wanted to. I um, I, I could, probably could have got out of any other work commitment other than this one thing I had, like the, effectively the morning of the AFL Grand Final. I just couldn't do it. I just started a new job. I, I, Ironically, I ended up quitting that job about two months two months later. So I should have just not gone. But so um, so I'm walking around. I've won the premiership, got the medal, and my whole thing was I wanted to be slow. So I was right at the back of everyone. I was taking my time. I sculled a couple of beers around doing a lap. Actually, <laughs> anyway, I bumped into Matt's wife and her partner, and uh, sorry, Matt's sister and her and her partner, and uh, she was yelling at me and. And I knew exactly who she were, and she's screaming and carrying on and cuddling me and chucking this phone in my face. I'm like, 
chill out, mate. Like, I know it's great. Anyway, Spang was on FaceTime. Oh, so Spang was on FaceTime on the boundary, took him out into the middle of the ground. We had a bit of a chat. Can't remember what I said to you, but at least you made it. Oh, no, nothing of nothing of decent substance. It was more just enjoying the moment, mate. I was uh, you were just too busy screaming as you should have been, and um, but it was awesome, mate. Like I, I, I mate, honestly, I like I got up. You know, you get up at six a.m. and watch it on UK Time Live, and um, the fact that that game, even if I was remotely neutral, you would have been pleased getting up for that. But the way it all panned out, given our friendship, I was. Uh, I was very, very, very happy and over the moon. And the fact that I was able to, just to how the stars aligned, where my, yeah, you're right, my sister snuck down the front and managed to shove a phone in your face that I actually got <laughs> to be there in some capacity was really nice. Um, all right, it's time for social media. We put this out pretty late. We've, uh, we've pulled this pod together um, at the last minute a little bit. You've always been on my list, but we appreciate the time you've given us. Just a little bit more time to give the people what they want. So, social media, as you know, Spang, it's a worldwide phenomenon. Um, people write questions, you answer them. That's it. So, uh, here we go. Yeah, fair enough. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to read the names and the and the questions because okay, I've got it all in front of me. Uh, McGill.Grant says, Loved him running from the back line at the coasters. Sorry to see him go, but stoked to see him win one at the Hawks. My question, who was the most annoying pest of a teammate you ever had? Uh, actually, one that we both probably played with Scully at different times, like Louis Jetta comes to mind. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> he was, uh, maybe I got him when he was a bit younger. He was a serial pest at the Swans. Um, Great. But in a fun way, as you know, as you know, Jets is a very entertaining man. Yes. Um, that one certainly comes to mind. Um, Sam Mitchell. that were annoying. Like, Sam Mitchell. Yeah, like. Yeah, but he was probably more annoying to opposition than to me. Yeah. Um, Tomo, James Thompson, <laughs> the name that many people would know, but he was annoying. <laughs> so, yeah, those those three probably, yeah. Um, go, go, for, go for gold, Dan. Go for gold, let's go. Um, uh, this is the way that social media used to be done, with no preparation <laughs> and reading the I questions. Gonna, I was going to say that. Well, this looks well thought out. Yeah, yeah. There's just so many here; it's hard to get through them all. Uh, Stefan underscore one zero three nine. Great uh, username there. Uh, what was it like going from fringe player to dead set cult hero? Yeah, I suppose like we touched on it a little bit. Like it was, um, oh, it was unexpected. Is probably the if I did one one word, but it was honestly, it was, it was, it was fun. Like it was a fun moment in my life. Um, because footy was going well, like, you know, people getting around you, it's hard not to to enjoy those moments. But I suppose I wasn't, I was painfully aware that it might not have been, like, it was a little bit in jest as well. You know, I wasn't, it wasn't because I was the equivalent of Bud or anything like that, as we sort of alluded to. It was um, maybe more for my appearance than my footy prowess, so you, you can't take it too seriously. You want me to read you a username, Dan? And yeah, I'll go for it. In the right direction. I think Matt cut back underscore. I think that's yeah. got something in it. On the subject of players having too much power in trades, uh, do you reckon a big part of the differences between the AFL and, say, the NBA or Premier League is the pay scale? Seems like a bit more. Uh, seems a bit more harsh to ask a guy on a one fifty to two hundred k salary to move across the country without any say in it. Uh, pay me eight million a year, and I'll move anywhere you like. So. Th- yeah, context. Yeah, we, we, last last week when we spoke with Andrew Bogut about um, 
player movement in the AFL and contracts not really being worth much at the moment because you can nominate a club that you'd like to go to and you basically handcuff the team into force into sending you there. Um, so do you think a part of that then is the amount of money that, that players are making compared to these leagues where you get traded at the drop of a hat and you don't really have a say where you go? Yeah, I didn't hear that, but I, that's a very interesting point. And certainly, I mean, in terms of people who are in a position to comment on that, Andrew Bogart comes, is certainly probably the, one of the better ones to do that. Um, I think there'd be elements to that. I think um, like the nature of it as well is, like in terms of trades and things like that, the, the clubs are... Um, well, I, I found that... Uh, they do they do the business where the club like the you got to remember the club will always be at the forefront and then they're not privately owned so it's about it's about performance rather than money like so selling a player in the NBA or something like that um, even if you got nothing back from performance it's money in the bank that you can spend on whatever you choose to uh, whereas the AFL is more aligned to a cap that um, and those trades are governed by that system so it's a, it's a it's not a, an apples for apples comparison I think. Well, Talking about trades, um, how do they all work for you? Because you were, you weren't traded every time. Is that correct? How, how did your movement between your clubs go? West Coast to Sydney, Sydney and Hawthorne. Yeah, delisted by West Coast and drafted by Swans, redrafted. Yeah, um, and then traded from Sydney to Hawthorne. What do they trade so, you for? I can't imagine a lot. I actually don't <laughs> even know the pick. Um, a couple of bags of quirky jacket. It'd be, it'd be worth looking up because um, Sydney wouldn't have had, wouldn't have had to pick up much to win that trade. I reckon. Um, usually, we have our uh, our main man Charlie behind the um, behind the buttons, and I'd throw that to Charlie. But Charlie is away, as our listeners know. So um, I'm going to have Dan look it up while we just kind of round this all out, mate. Um, playing playing in in. I mean, I, I, I reflect on your career and look at it as if you, you've played with potentially the three eras over the last close to double decade, right? You've got West Coast, the powerhouse West Coast was. You've got the Bloods in the middle there, and then you've got the three Pete Hawks. You probably just missed out on Richmond. Um, you might have just had to go a couple more years, and then you could have got involved in the Richmond powerhouse. But what do you, what do you, what do you think about... Looking back on your career, do you feel fulfilled? Do you feel, um, you know, or do you feel like you had more to give? Where does it all spit out in the end? Um, I, oh, I think certainly where I sit now, I'm I'm comfortable with with how it all played out. If I'm being honest, if I wasn't lucky enough to play in 2014 and I missed out on on all five, that might have been tougher. To swallow and to say about your career, but I'm well aware that, or for me, being part of a premiership side was was all I wanted to do. So to not have all the other accolades in terms of high games played and individual awards and stuff, it didn't bother me. So um, to be part of that of at least one side on game day, like was important in many ways. Provided vindication, I think for for what the, I suppose the body of work you put in, not just for the 11 years, but all that comes before it. So, um, and in many ways it's bigger than you, like, you know, it's going my family well and um, 
not getting meant a lot to them as well. And then, so as a result, that then reflects back onto you. So it's, um, I certainly look back now and think it's, it's fantastic. And I, I, and certainly what I'm doing now and even what I've done in the last 12 or to be honest, even what I've done since finishing footy, um, that journey has provided me to have a much different outlook on, on the way I've gone about tasks in my, you know, professional life since then. So, and for the most part that, that attitude has been well received. So I think, um, so I think that's what I think I look back and think it was all part of like where I'm supposed to be without getting too philosophical, but I honestly, I loved it. And then, uh, other than the on-field stuff, mate, but the, the capacity to play at three different teams where, you know, you've now got friends all over the country and like to make room, locker room mates and, and, you know, staff and stuff like that was, was a, was a, I suppose a, a, another benefit that I, you didn't really foresee when you're bouncing around. And like, I grew up, you know, wanting to be a one club player, like all that sort of old school stuff. And that quickly changes when those things are taken away from you um, without your choice. And at the moment, I think that mentality is completely shifted anyway. I think um, maybe not completely at club land, but certainly amongst the players. Um, yeah, great. And I, I really enjoyed that, that, that benefit. So, um, and I feel thankful for that. So you were traded for pick number 64 oh. and that then was resulted in Matthew Dick is who Sydney picked up. Matthew Dick didn't end up playing for... How did Matty Dick go? He didn't play for Sydney, but he played uh, six games for Carlton and that's it. Well, you got traded for a dick, mate. So congratulations, yeah. buddy. Wow. What a, That's what the best thing I've ever. What a beautiful summation of my. <laughs> oh my eyebrow humour. Oh really out. All right, so that's all we got time for. Matt Spanger, a great career, great footy story. Uh, West Coast Hawthorne, uh, Sydney Hawthorne, somewhere in the middle, traded for a dick and um, and a and a premiership medal, mate. So thank you for your time. I couldn't have ended it any better if I tried. <laughs> and um, all the best for next year at the Bulldogs, which I'm looking forward to see how you go, mate. Make sure you keep Norts and Brucey and the boys. Make sure those hair that that those locks are flowing. I know that'll be a big part of your role next year. Yeah, that's pretty much what they brought me in for. To make sure that was up, up to speed. Very good, mate. Well done. No, thank you very much. Thanks so much, guys. Have me. Who was that? Bloody good. Um, I wish I was friends with him. Yeah, I mean, you are now. Yeah. He's friends of the family. True. Uh, he's a good man, Matty. I think he'll go well as a coach. You can see he's pretty uh, He's pretty respectful, I think, overall. Like, he, you know, when I asked him a question about whether he, you know, imparts some knowledge about losing grand finals, he was like, yep. oh, they need to, you know, tread their own path a little bit. Yep. I think it'll be an interesting combination. I mean, it's pretty interesting he's been given that job in the first place. He's got no experience. And he's come into a grand final team as a coach. Mm. I think it's going to be good. Well, that says, you know, a bit about him as a person. Yeah, it does. So, there you Hopefully go. you learned a little bit about Matty Spanger, our good mate and friend of the family now. Yeah. Um, appreciate it if you've stuck around here on YouTube. Make sure you've hit subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. Uh, and, you know, we do appreciate you getting around us. Um, if you're listening, uh, we enjoy that too. Hmm. You've got your podcasts, you got your YouTube, yep. you're doing it all. Backchat was on Instagram, Twitter. Yep. Just go to the website. We yep. could we could rattle off all the handles. Backchatpodcast.com.au. Yeah. 
that's where you find it all. Yeah, and you can contribute, you can support the podcast by joining us as a patron. Um, I've got a little sneaky thing for our patrons coming up. I haven't even told you about it, Dan. All right. Got a little sneaky coming up. So we always say this about our patrons. You get early access as a patron um, to our podcast. As soon as Dan is done clipping it, it's ready. Basically. Once, once, you, once you put it up, it's up. Yeah, so if it's at 2 a.m. you get a notification on your phone, it wakes you up. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's sometimes so how it So you get goes. that, and you, and you get our love because you're supporting us. But I've got something sneaky coming for our patrons. That's all I'll say. Can you tell me after we start recording? That's all I'll say. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.